Yo, family, what's going on? What's going down? What's shaking? Welcome to Jonathan Soul's podcast. This is your host, Jonathan Soul. Usually I interview creatives, comic book uh, creators, uh, you know, authors, illustrators, publishers, sci-fi novelists, filmmakers, about the worlds that they're building and the business side of being creative. Uh, you know, the only difference between, you know, like science fiction in science is time. And so I'm going to cut that in half with this interview. I'm going to talk to a futurist by the name of Thaddeus Howes. In the future, I believe that we're going to all experience something called universal basic income. And what that means is all of us is going to get some kind of check. You know what I mean? Similar to what they're doing in, uh, in Alaska, where the government gives them a piece of the oil revenues. I feel like, you know, the powers that be are going to be forced to give everybody, you know, the fruits of their labor, a moder- uh, you know, basic income so that not only it'll keep revolutions at bay and all that kind of stuff, but it'll give human beings the ability to focus on other things besides survival. Instead of having a Silicon Valley in one place, we could have Silicon Valleys all over the planet if people had enough to eat, if they had shelter, if they had security. Let's talk with this futurist, Thaddeus Howes, about universal basic income. Let's listen. Let's talk about universal income. It's got a lot of different names, basic income, universal income. It's got a lot of different names. The bottom line is this. Once upon a time, humans worked. Everybody worked. Uh, when you were in the hunter-gatherer stage of human development, we went out into the world, and hunters hunted and gatherers gathered. And believe it or not, hunters came home empty-handed more often than not. Mm. However, gatherers kept everybody fed, kept everybody working. And as a result, hunting and gathering worked great for years, from, from, from millennia. But one day, we just started growing food. We stopped moving from place to place, and we started growing food. And we started doing what's called the agricultural age. We started farming, started growing certain kinds of food, raising foods from seeds, and doing things that made it possible for us to stop moving and start building cities. First, we built small towns, then we built bigger cities and bigger cities. And eventually, we started using technology to do more of what we wanted. Technology is great because technology allows us to amplify human strength, amplify human intellect, and create new means of solving old problems. Technology, whatever that technology is, it always displaced people. Mm. But back in the old days, Technology displacing people probably meant you were doing a job that you really didn't want to do, and it would be better if someone else or something else were doing it. And that was not a bad thing. People were displaced, but they'd go find new work. We've reached an era in the in what I call the information age, where not only is technology able to replace humans, but it is basically making us in some particular levels of work obsolete. So let's say uh, automobile factories. Once upon a time, it took hundreds of people to man an assembly line to do their job. And it was a repetitive stress, injury laden, dangerous job that, you know, paid pretty well. Well, now all those jobs or almost all those jobs have been replaced by robots. Now, these mm-hmm. robots are doing that work. And as a result, what used to be a comfortable living for the average human is now no longer available. A robot is doing that job. And, yeah, there are a few guys who got uh, the ability to fix those robots and a few guys who got to program those robots. But it's nowhere near the number of people who used to be manning those assembly lines. So what happened to those people? Well, in an ideal world, they left the assembly line and became something else. But the truth of the matter is 
what we're learning is as automation replaces humans, there are less and less opportunities for humans to find new work. Because what we have is a system, an economic system that says, if you don't work, you don't eat. And mm -hmm. as a result, if you can't work, you can't eat. And you also can't move and you also can't migrate to new places and you can't afford to go to a new place to get a new job or you can't afford to go to school to get a new job. So we've suddenly we found ourselves in this weird dilemma where people need to work. They can't find the work that they want. They're settling for work that they can get. But now we're all battling for those same scant few jobs because what used to happen was new ideas opened up, new vistas opened up. Well, those vistas are opening at a slower pace. They require more education. They require more training. And as a result, there are fewer people available to take those new vistas. Basic income's job was to help transition people from the idea of going to work and looking for new work and finding new work and having a new job. It's supposed to give you the opportunity to not starve to death. You wouldn't lose your place to live. You'd have just enough money to pay your bills. You could then go off and get an education, doing something else. You could still keep a job because you'd get this fixed amount of money every month, but your goal would be that it wouldn't force you out of your home. It wouldn't force you to be homeless while you tried to change your life because you couldn't go back to work as a factory worker. It's a great idea, but it costs a huge sum of money, and most governments won't support it because right now they don't see a need for it. Uh, when unemployment starts exploding at you know, uh, 10, 20, 50, 50 percent of the population. And that's going to happen. It is. It's going to happen. Technology continues to evolve. When we get automated cars in America, 17 million people will lose their jobs when automated cars become a reality. Just like that, 17 million people will be unemployed. That's a problem. That's a real problem that needs to be addressed. And we need to start addressing it now. So, so let me let me let me ask you this question there, uh, Thaddeus. Now, when you were describing, you know, the ideas, you know, for universal income, it was to keep people out the gutter, basically keep people off the soup line until they can do something better. I mean, that was, but that sounds like, you know, the original uh, reason for, for the social welfare programs, like, you know, welfare, social security, Medicare, Medicaid, that kind of thing. And so it almost sounds like, am I, we talking about a just opening up, uh, you know, the welfare system to everybody? Is, is that what we're talking? Cause I'm trying to think like, how would it look? Because it could be a thousand different reasons why something like that would happen. It has to be some immediate, some serious catastrophe. But let's just say whatever reason, the, the powers that be are amenable to that in the United States. Like, how would that unfold? Would it just be opening up a pre-existing system? You know, would it be something new or? Well, OK, so here's what probably would happen. If it were up to me, I'd probably take all the programs that we currently use that supplement people's lifestyles and collapse them. There's a whole bunch of infrastructure, a whole bunch of paperwork that's being done every day that has thousands of people doing it that may or may not need to be done. But if you were able to fold Medicaid, Medicare, uh, Social Security, and all these other programs and fold them into one thing, have the government say, we're going to create the UBX, Universal Basic Exchange. Uh, people will be able to pay, uh, people will be able to get money out of it. Uh, you won't be hoarding any money. You'll basically be using your money lot. You'd be uh, getting a certain amount of income. You'd be immediately putting it back to the system, feeding itself. It'd be a machine. Just like right now, our commerce system is a machine that feeds itself. Everybody gets a job. People go to work. You buy stuff. 
And when you buy stuff, companies make money. So that's a, that's a, a commerce engine. Well, what we're talking about building is a new commerce engine that doesn't mean you have to work. It just means you have to be working toward being a part of society. So if you say, I don't want to, I'm, I'm an automobile driver. My job just went away. I used to drive for a living and it's gone. Uh, I want to go back to school and become a, an electrician. But I can't do that if I can't afford to go to school and I can't afford to keep my place. Basic income would be the way you would do that. We'd make school free so people could just go to school. Government would pay for it just like it should, just like it does in every other country but ours. Exactly. Government would pay for school. Basic income would pay for your basic amenities, your rent, your food, the things you need to eat. You'd go to school for two years. You'd come out. You'd be a journeyman. Then you'd go to and you'd make a living and you'd be making $50,000 a year or whatever your income is for that. And that's what you do for a living. You would still pay taxes. You would still be doing everything you would do normally. The difference would be that for a time you would draw down basic income to do that. So just as just, you know, since we're going going this way, like if you were to start your uh, you said uh, UBX and your UBX. What like where would some of the money come from? I'm thinking that if you're giving people bread, then you know maybe let's just say you gave people enough to have a a one bedroom in a decent you know I mean if everybody had bread every every neighborhood could uh, could become decent you know what I mean because you wouldn't have to worry about getting hit over the head at the ATM but let's just say you know you, you gave people a basic uh, standard of living I mean wouldn't states have to spend less on prison and incarceration and police? We would change. I mean, right now, a lot of the problems that society has are created by society's engine, the hmm. current commerce engine. Uh, many of the issues we have, uh, incarceration is not just a, uh, it's not just something that happens to poor people. It does happen to poor people a lot, but it happens to them because they have fallen through the safety net. They, there is no safety net for them. They're forced to steal. They're forced to, uh, through either lack of education, lack of resources, lack of social uh, opportunity, they're no longer part of society. And as a result, they end up being forced into prison because they break a law that makes it impossible for them to have opportunity. If you're taking away people's opportunity, the chances are they're going to end up in prison. So if we're saying what we're doing is restructuring opportunity, restructuring people's their chance to have access to the greater commercial engine, the chances are prisons would become much less because those people who went to prison because they were trying to access opportunity, they would go away. Now, murderers, those people are accessing a different opportunity and they should be in prison. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who are in prison were opportunity deprived. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they went to prison. But if we could find ways to reduce this reduction in opportunity, the chances are a lot of those people that are in prison would go away. Plus, prison in and of itself, the penal industrial complex is a commercial system. Yeah. Attorneys, judges, DAs, police, all of these things make money, thus get paid, thus they exist because we've created a need for them. So really, we would have to go back and start addressing whether we need so many judges and DAs and police officers. We, it, we're, we're talking about restructuring society. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't see society doing that because we've made society a zero-sum game. We've said the only way to win 
is to dominate your enemies. And we've made everyone believe that every person in the world is their enemy. You're in competition with every person on earth. As a result, no one has an incentive to work together. No mm. one has an incentive to cooperate unless they believe there's lots of money at the end of the rainbow. So no one helps the homeless because there's no incentive to do so. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm. We're, making, we're making this happen. We're, we're creating the circumstances by which we're currently laboring under. So um, we talked about uh, poverty and, and its relationship to crime. Um, another thing that's been happening that's really been stressing, you know, poor people, working people, the, the blank out is traffic court, traffic tickets, uh, auto insurance, all that kind of thing. I think one of the ways that we can mitigate that stress is by free public transportation, free, reliable 24-7 public transportation. An article that I sent you, you know, we might have briefly, uh, you know, might briefly mention Estonia um, is uh, opening up their uh, their public transportation systems, making it free. In my neighborhood, there's a, a bus, I guess it would be considered a circulator. It just kind of goes in a circle. And, of course, it passes the mall. <laughs> you know what I mean? It goes from the metro station, you know, public trans to the mall in a big circle. And now they're going to make it free. Uh, on Saturdays. So uh, free public transportation, Thaddeus, what do you think? Would that be, you know, um, you know, amenable in this kind of new society we're kind of we're kind of toying with? Um, I think it's a necessity. I think it should be a necessity. I, I feel like right now, one of the great failings for where I live, for example, the Bay Area, is that there is uh, California is a strange state. It's a very big state. And as a result, People put things very far apart from each other. Towns sprung up 40, 50 miles apart, and people are commuting between these towns because uh, most towns don't have sufficient opportunity within them for people to live in them and work in them. So they travel great distances in some cases. Uh, I know I used to travel an hour and a half to get to work wow. every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I so, did an hour and 20 minutes back in the day when I lived yeah, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Right. So you understand, you know that you can travel great distances. Yeah. But I feel like right now we aren't giving people the opportunity to work where they live. So let's say you're a service worker uh, in San Francisco. You can't, as a service worker, afford to live in San Francisco. It's too expensive. Right. So service workers commute great distances to do their job. Service commute, the, the, the commuting from point A to point B costs money. Um, so, for example, the Bay Area is now talking about raising the cost to cross bridges in the Bay. What? So if I, they're raising the cost of the bridges. So Damn. right now, by the year 2020, if I want to go from Oakland to San Francisco, it's going to cost me $10 every day to cross the bridge. So that's God. an additional $200 a month that I don't get to eat that doesn't do anything but pay for me to go from my home to San Francisco if right. I work there, if, right. I, if I drive there. Uh, but if they were offering public transportation and it was free or very affordable, you would have more people being willing to do that and not take their vehicles. But right now, the cost of a bus and the cost of BART to the local tra transit system, it costs almost $10 a day to travel from where I live yeah. on BART to and from San Francisco. So if it's yeah. $10 to go by BART and $10 to go by car, which way do you think most people tend to go? They go by car right. because it's not cost effective or it's not cheaper to go by BART and you have less comfort and you have more 
people to deal with. You know, mass transit's uncomfortable. Let's keep it real. It's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Nobody loves it. It is not desirable, but people use it. So if mass transit were more affordable and it ran more often and it was more effective, uh, I think people would use it. I think it would be more likely that they would use it. And we know that free shuttles work because most major cities have a free shuttle or two or three or four. They got but them from have, the airport, don't they? That's a lot right. of times. Yep. You, that's right. So if you've got a free shuttle, why not just go ahead and push the envelope and say, cities, government, you're going to subsidize that transit. And you're going to subsidize it by doing the thing that we don't do now that we should do more than ever. We do not tax corporations. Mm-hmm. And as long as we don't yep. tax corporations, we will never be able to afford anything. What we will do is do just what we're doing. We will continue to circle the drain as corporations move from city to city, sucking up resources, yeah. never paying taxes, and yeah. then migrating on before someone tries to force them to do so. We have all the money we need to do all of the things we're talking about, but we cannot do it without the support of the corporations who benefit the most from these things. Now, related to this transportation thing, in my mind, is working from home working remotely uh, a lot of us uh you know are fortunate or you know blessed or lucky whatever you want to call it to do work at our desk in an office someplace in front of a computer now if you do your work in front of a computer there's no reason why you can't do your work in front of a computer in your living room what about um a, a government you know, uh, government's providing incentive for corporations to, uh, you know, allow or encourage working remotely. That is. All right. How about we talk about it like this? I ran I was a I was a tech officer once upon a time for uh, college mm-hmm. and half of my staff were programmers or people who did work that didn't technically require that they be any place but in their computer chair. So. Some days I tell them to stay home. Why? Because they could do their job from home just as effectively, not spend an hour and a half driving to work and be, you know, able to do what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a no brainer to me. Right. Now, my boss, wait, my boss would look at me and say, well, where's your staff? I'm going They're at home. He goes, well, how do you know they're doing their work? I say, because at the end of the week, I say, is Project X completed? And they say to me, yes or no. If the answer is yes, I cheer and go on and say, see you on Monday because we have a staff meeting on Monday. If it's not, I already know it's not because they told me that two days ago. They didn't wait till the last day to tell me that it's not finished. So the idea of results oriented work environments where people are not necessarily in the office, but able to be reached by phone or by online chat like Skype or by email. To me, these make perfectly good sense. If you don't need to be in the office, don't be. I honestly don't see any reason for, I'd say, half the people I've ever worked with to be in their offices except when they needed to be. Schedule meetings, put meetings together on certain days, and you go have those meetings. And other than that, you don't come to the office. How did your manager take to that? Oh, the work is getting done, yada, yada. Did he, I mean, was he amenable to that Uh, or no? Here you go. In the beginning, he was not. Okay. But then I began to track the completion of projects and successes mm-hmm. and to show him how not only were they more not only were they successful in solving problems that previously couldn't have been solved, but they were solving more of those problems because technically people who work from home, they tend to work all the time. They're yep. not always working just an eight hour shift. They might sit down. I matter of fact, I know this because 
we had a software that would allow us to be connected through our computers. So I would see them when they were online and I would discover at 11 o'clock at night, I'd be like, dude, why are you still awake? He said, man, I had an idea. It was a great idea. I got up, yeah. I programmed it. It works great. And I'm happy. I'll bring it in the morning. To me, I don't, I wasn't going to ding him for working late because if he was inspired to solve a problem, that's one more thing I didn't have to deal with. So to me, once I was able to show how successful they were in their projects and completions, he eventually just snarled a lot and ignored it because it was working. And he was one of those people that said, basically, bring me success. And if you bring me success, I'll pretend I don't see any of these other issues that really. <laughs> and yeah, that was uh, how we were. I love uh, managers like that. You know, but don't tell me how you did it. Just get it done. You know, that's right. I just want to know how the sausage gets made. Right. I just want to know is there a sausage showing up tomorrow morning? And that was all he cared about. So we were good. But it took about two years to get to that point. Oh, wow. So it wasn't an, easy, wasn't an easy ride. It was a rough ride. Now, this might got- be a silly question, but how did your, uh, your, 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 your staff respond to the ability to work from home? Uh, fabulously. Most of them were just, they were always amazing. See, the trick is that most of them worked at their desks anyway. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were walking around the building or doing it. They were at their desk most of the day. Mm-hmm. So they weren't interacting with a lot of people. Anyway, matter of fact, they worked behind a locked door because all our equipment was behind a secure door. Okay. So no one came into the office where they worked. So it wasn't like you'd wander in and see them. Okay. And the only time you ever did see them was at lunch. And most of the time they ate lunch at their desk. Yeah. So that sounds like IT people. No, they were there. And that was my thing is that it took them three months to notice my staff wasn't showing, you know, they weren't seeing their cars Hilarious. because they were actually coming to work. I said, well, they're working. They're just not here. And they would get so bent. But after a while, we were producing such amazing work. They were like, you know what? We don't care where they are. Just keep doing what you're doing. And that, to me, was the thing I was hoping for, that these guys would be so good, they'd be so motivated that once they started producing cosmically awesome results, they would want to work from home. They would do good work. And they would see the benefit of it. And they did. I only, I only had one guy screw it up for himself. And then he basically had to come back to work and sit in his chair because he now, couldn't get his work. W- when you were tracking uh, people's progress, by chance, did you track maybe sick days or anything like that? I mean, was it did, did you notice any kind of reduction in that kind of uh, in that kind of activity or, or anything? I stopped. I stopped having sick days because basically people were at home. They would just. They would sit there. They, the ones who were sick, who were really legitimately sick, they just stayed in bed. I don't care as long as the work gets done. I don't care how you do it. I don't want to know if you have dancing fairies that dance around in your living room and program your computer software for you. I don't care. I don't want to know how it gets done, only that it gets done. So mm. sick days, we didn't have sick days because people just stayed home. They were at home. They didn't tell me they were sick unless they got sick for an extended period and it would affect their productivity. Gotcha. Most of them, even if they were sick, they would sit down at their computer and can program a computer. And then when they got tired, they go lay down and then they'd get back up and program some more. Sure. So, again, it was a reduction in sick days because they didn't need sick days. They mm-hmm. were happy at home and they got the work done. So I didn't care if they went to the movies in the middle of the day. I, none of that matters to me as yeah. long as your work is being done. I just am not I'm not a control freak. I know that's a, a thing with a lot of our culture. We're built on the idea that we must have absolute control and cheeks and seats. And I'm a I'm completely the opposite of that. I, I'm a believer that if you give people the opportunity to amaze you, you treat them like adults, and people actually love that. They they will go out of their way for you if you treat them like adults. Give them the opportunity to do their job 
without my, you know, micromanaging them, without standing over their shoulder. Trust them. I so, hired the best. So we we've talked about uh, the universal income, keep people off the you know off the street. Um, we talked about the benefits of it, probably a reduction in crime, reduction in spending for in the criminal injustice system. You know, probably some health benefits because people are not worried about where the next meal is coming from. Uh, we talked about uh, free transportation so they can get from here to there. We talked about working from home because of the Internet, you know, and computers. A lot of uh, the jobs that we do can be done from home. And there's, you know, emotional, physical, financial benefits to that. So the what makes working from home possible is the Internet. What do you think about free access to the Internet? All right. So here's what we're talking about. So what you're really talking about in all of these cases is what I call developmental infrastructure. Okay. Infrastructure, the ability to use the environment to build a means by which work can be done. Infrastructure. So having people take a bus to work that doesn't cost them anything is part of infrastructure development. If we're talking about having high speed Internet in every home and that that Internet connection be free and high quality, that's an infrastructure thing. The problem with the West, or at least our part of the West, is that we insist that these services shouldn't be part of government. They shouldn't be part of of something that is done for everyone, we insist that there be this bifurcation of quality, that some people, because they have more money, should get a better service than people who don't have money. And as long as we continue to make service a thing that isn't an infrastructure, something that is paid for by the government, built and maintained by the government, and maintained with quality, because it's it's one thing to have a government-made thing, but if it's poorly made, then it's not really a benefit. And we keep saying that individuals or corporations will do a better job than that no, you know corporations no. and privatization that's the word we're using yeah. privatization is better for services than uh having a government mandated thing but i would say that much of what's done by through privatization the quality is multivaried uh in some cases varies from semi-good to really bad yep. to really awful yeah and the occasional place where you live it might be really good depending on you know who's running it mm-hmm. i think privatization isn't an ideal solution to our problem if the goal is to build a quality of life that is good enough for everyone the only way to do that is through a quality program created through the government managed by the government controlled by the government and regulated effectively by citizens to be sure that the quality control remains high. Because if it isn't, it's not equal, and thus it does not benefit society. We have to stop thinking about this as a, let's feed the corporations and ignore society, or feed society and ignore corporations. We can actually have them both exist, but we have to start talking about services that we need, infrastructure services like internet, like mass transit, uh, quality roads, a free transportation, getting people to and from work effectively. We have to change how we're doing this, right? The way we're doing it right now, we're choking cities to death hmm. through this idea of lack of infrastructure because nobody wants to pay taxes. We want all the benefits of having a city, but nobody wants to pay for that city. Now, let's clarify. Tax- you said nobody wants to pay taxes. When we say nobody, we're talking I mean, about the courts. I'm talking about big corporations. Right. The, right, let's, 
When corporations don't pay taxes, you know who pays taxes? You and I. We yep. pay for everything in our infrastructure. So somebody's paying taxes. Well, when I'm saying when I say we don't want to pay taxes, what yeah. I really mean is big corporations exactly. don't want to pay taxes. And yep. if they did, they would recognize that the infrastructure that they would be developing by paying taxes benefits them with smarter workers, more motivated workers, workers who show up on time, who are rested, who are well fed, who are well slept who come to work on mass transit that is well paid for and maintained. They are happier. They have less stress. They cost less money. They have less sickness. And society is improved. This mm -hmm. is not rocket science. This is simply a fact. But we refuse to acknowledge it because corporations have you convinced that they know more that what you need than you do. Now, there is a big uh, idea that I keep coming across when I research universal income, and I want your take on it. The first argument that people raise against universal income besides it's going to cost a hundred trillion billion billion dollars. The first argument they raise is that, well, if you just give people money, they'll just stay home and do shit. Is that what you believe that is? Is that your thought? If you just give people money enough for them to live, they'll just sit home and just just become couch potatoes. Is that is that your thought? I think it would be a transition. Okay. I think in the beginning, a lot of people probably would just sit at home for a while. You mm -hmm. know why? Because most people have worked really hard most of their lives yep. and have never had anything. But I'm going to tell you what I know about people. It gets boring sitting at home. I'm a, I'm, I, you know, I work from home. Mm -hmm. you know, I write. And I can tell you, I miss going to work. I don't miss the politics. I don't miss the arguments. I don't miss the, the, the micromanagement. I don't miss that. Right. I miss the people. I miss the people who were cool. The people mm -hmm. who were fun, the people who where I worked with them and we enjoyed each other's company. And I think what would happen is if people were involved with things like universal income, people would seek the kind of work that would satisfy them. Mm -hmm. They would seek the kind of work that would give them the capacity to give back to the world in a way that was meaningful to them. How many people do we know who hate their job? They hate, they hate it. They hate everyone they work with. They hate everything about that job. Right. But they have to have a job, and that's the only job they could get. Mm -hmm. What if you were doing a job you loved? What if you were doing a job that meant something to you? Mm -hmm. That if you wanted to work outside all your life and you've worked in an office, now you get to work out in the, in, in the forest planting trees because that's really what you love. That's what you want. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to sweat the load that you won't ever make enough money to take care of yourself because the system is built so that you can Take the time to get the skills you need and then go out and do the job. And you won't have to be on the street. You won't have to be homeless. You won't have to have the hardship or risk of right. being opportunity free or missing an opportunity, which might get you put behind bars or mm -hmm. worried that every time you get on the bus, um, you're not going to have enough money to make it to work. How many times has I, I know I know it's happened to me growing up mm -hmm. uh, where I didn't have enough money to do everything I needed. Yep. And thus I ended up struggling or having a problem that was completely avoidable. People say being poor is easy. I'm going to tell you, there is no job harder than being a poor person in America. That's true. You work harder. You work longer. You have less. You struggle more. And you never, ever get the ends to meet. You mm. just don't. So when you say to me, would people stay at home if their basic needs were met? I say no. I say that once they realize they don't have to worry about the wolf at the door, feeding the wolf at the door. They don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. They're going to go find something that fulfills them. They're going to find work that they're not only going to be good at, but that they're going to want to get up every day to go to. 
And let's face it, when people are going to work because they love their job, they're just easier to get along with. They're just better people. And let's face it, you know what I do. When we're doing a job that we love, we're amazing at it. We just yeah. are. Yep, yep, yep. Ladies and gentlemen, Thaddeus Howes. He's a writer. He's an author. He's a podcaster. Uh, you can find them over at Medium. That's where you uh, post a lot of your stuff, Thaddeus? Uh, I post uh, primarily on Medium.com. You can find me. Just search for my name, Thaddeus, T-H-A-D-D-E-U-S-H-O-W-Z-E, Thaddeus Howes. And you can find me on Quora. I write hundreds of essays there. I've got seven or 800 there now. And I write on Medium, Quora. I probably have a half a dozen other places. If you just search for me, you can find me. But what I really want you guys to do, though, if you really like what we're talking about, is to go to my Patreon. That mm-hmm. is House, patreon.com. Uh, go there, look me up, support my Patreon. If you would spend five bucks on a cup of Starbucks coffee, and we're not even going to talk about the evil that is Starbucks, right. but if you were willing to spend five bucks on somebody's coffee from an unknown place, spend that same five bucks and buy a subscription every month from me. I promise you, I curate some of the best information on the internet on my Facebook account. Mm-hmm. I write the best stuff you want to see and track the best stuff you want to see on Medium. My short stories, I'm going to be a giant. It's just going to take a minute because I'm struggling with a bunch of things. But I'm, I'm planning on being a giant. I write great sci-fi that I enjoy, that other people write, that other people like. Yep. I have 50 patrons right now. I could use 150 more. Come join me. I promise you will enjoy this ride. It will be great. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Thaddeus House. Thank you, sir, for being on the program. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me. It's been a blast, as usual.